If you have your scripture with you, I'm going to be reading from the book of Deuteronomy and the Gospel of Luke. In Deuteronomy, uh, Moses and the people have moved along already. And interestingly enough, after they had developed a tabernacle, which was the temporary place of worship, which God had designed for them. Interestingly enough, the old King James begins to shift the language. And instead of calling the, the crowd in the desert the people of Israel or the Hebrews, it begins to call it the congregation. In other versions, they are called the assembly. And it is precisely in one of these moments when the people of Israel are gathered in assembly, are gathered as a congregation, that God begins to speak through the prophets and confronts them with some realities. Tells them a few things, say, hey, where were you? And, and, and what are you complaining about? They were grumbling, they were dissatisfied. They just didn't find themselves in that place where they belonged for this moment. And here it is where we find the people of Israel listening to God as God speaks to them. Let us therefore listen to and for God's word as we read Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 and 30 through 35. Now search all of history from the time God created people on earth until now. And search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God there to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials and miracles, signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm? And terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Jesus is walking through Palestine, Israel, Judea. And we have read this story before here. I think this very year perhaps. But if I emphasize in one side of the story earlier, we're going to emphasize in another story. And as Jesus is walking through, through the towns of Jericho, he enters into Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed on a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly came down and looked at Jesus and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people under taxes, I will give them back four times as much. 
the word of the Lord. In the last month, I have been sharing with you a series of messages in an attempt to give us a new identity, in an attempt to to try to answer the questions when we are around our community, who are you guys? And when we say Presbyterians, I guess the conversation stops right there because if the person's kind of brave, they're going to ask you, and what are those? And if they're very shy or they're just not going to, you know, they don't want to get into a conversation, the conversation will stop right there. But if you, if we, I wonder what would happen if we were to reply to the question, what are you guys? And instead of sharing with them an institutional name, we share with them what we're about. Who we are about. And we tell them that we are people of grace. People of forgiveness. And we share with them that we are people of grace and people of change. And we share with them that we are people of grace and people of opportunity. But we're also people of grace and people of gratitude. You see, people of grace and forgiveness because we have found out That God, in God's amazing grace, in God's undeniable grace, in God's irresistible grace, we have nothing but to respond to God and follow and surrender our fight. God's grace is a gift from God. It is sufficient to, to satisfy God and it is active. When we discover about people of grace and change, we found out that God's grace is active. It is powerful enough to change our lives, to change our conditions, and to even change families and communities in which we live. That's how powerful God's grace can be. And when we discovered about God's grace and opportunity, we learned that God is the owner of every door of every opportunity. And that God is the God that opens doors that no one can close. And that God is the God that closes doors that no one can actually open again. We learned that every opportunity was prepared by God as a gift of grace in God's plan for us. For even those good works were prepared for us. Before times. Today I wish to speak with you for a moment about God's, about how we can be people of grace and gratitude. People of grace and gratitude. When I talk about grace, I'm not talking about the refineness and, and the pleasantries of a graceful person. That is not what I'm referring to. I am referring to the grace that is costly and the grace that is free. How can it be both at the same time? Well, let me share it with you. It is grace that is cheap because it is, I mean, it is grace that is free because it is God who gives it to us. God's grace actually goes ahead of us. Do you realize that? God's grace goes ahead of us. I know of a young person who one day living, living a, a, a place where he was visiting. He drove down from the hill from where he was. And at, when he got to a, to a stop sign, this young man decided to turn left instead of turning right, which he was supposed to do. This is a curious person, and he likes to get lost. Years later, he found out that if he were to turn right like he was supposed to, there was a gang of thugs that had been paid to beat him up and kill him. Yeah. 
And the person who paid the money is telling the person years later. Did you know of how many things God may have freed us? Do you know of how many things we have not experienced because God's grace that is ahead of us protects us, secures us, spares us? Oh, we have very vivid examples when we drive and we correct that moment, that second. It could have been worse. God's grace goes before us, protecting ahead of us. God's grace also goes behind us. Actually, I, I shared somewhere, uh, with someone this week that, that I have two spirits that follow me and they almost grabbed the phone to call psych. Until I said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life until I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So yeah, I got goodness and mercy following you. Who's following you? I hope it's goodness and mercy. But God's grace goes behind us. God's grace not only goes behind us in time, it goes behind us in space. And God's grace has the power, has the active, dynamic power of going back in time and cleansing, clarifying, liberating, healing emotions from the past. Because it is God's powerful grace that can reach not only for all the way ahead, but can also reach all the way back in our lives and bring the same power of healing and forgiveness, bring the same power of changing an opportunity that presents with us all the way to the past. God's grace is also amazing because it can also show itself below us and and over us. Below us and over us. Over us because God's protection, God's providence is constantly taking care of us through God's spirit. Under us because when we are weak, when we frail, when we have doubt and frustrations, when we lose it. How many of you lose it? Come on, some human moment here. I lose it. I just don't let anybody see it. And I lose it when I answer emails and I have to rewrite them four times. Thank God for Delete. Yeah. Yeah. So we lose it, and God's grace is there protecting us. Ahead of us, over us, and under us. When you think you're sinking and life has been taking the rug from under you, things are just collapsing, and your memory is even going away, and you can't even figure out what kind of season are we? God's grace is there to uphold you, God's grace is there to sustain you. God's grace is there to strong you up. No matter what. But God's grace not only goes before us. God's grace doesn't only go behind us. And God's grace doesn't only go below us and above us. But God's grace also goes beside us. Walks alongside us. It is the name given in the New Testament for the Spirit of God as parakletos. Para, parallel. Kletos, alongside you. It is the counselor that is with you. It is that Spirit of God indwelling in us. God's grace is like goodness and mercy. They will follow you. They will be within you. They will be above you. They will be beside you, guiding you alongside 
life's amazing twists and turns. And guiding you and taking you to the true things of Jesus. You see, God's grace and our reformers. Actually, there, there is a book uh, uh, written by one of our reformers. Do you know the, a, a guy named John Calvin, by the way? Oh, he wrote a little book called Grace and Gratitude. And in his book, he's basically talking about how Jesus himself gave himself for us as an act of grace, as an act of freely grace, as an act of benefits and favors from God, as an announcement that God is no longer angry with us, but then speaks about how proper and reasonable it is as a response to that sacrifice of God, how the only reasonable response to God's grace is eternal gratitude, is gratitude in every aspect of our lives. Actually, he comes short of even saying the word self-giving gratitude. God's grace is amazing, as the song so clichésly says it. It's freely given to us. It is sufficient. It is unconditional. It is all-encompassing. And it is powerful. But it, let me tell you one thing. It is very costly. It's not free. It wasn't free for God. And even though it is given free to us, our response should not be, so what? Our response should never be like, okay, and, because that is all in all. You see, it is so costly that it caused the very death of the God's Son. It, it caused Jesus suffering for you and for I. It caused Jesus receiving the lashes on his back. It caused Jesus to receive the crown of thorns on his head as he was pressed down. And it caused Jesus' nails to go through his hands and even a spear trespassing his side. It cost Jesus all the way to the cross, even death, that you and I actually deserved. You see, in the New Testament uh, uh, text that we read, Zacchaeus, who is a, let's put it this way, a criminal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but he's sanctioned. He's Okay. Is what we would call a protected mafia member. Okay, now we got it. <laughs> Soprano guy, okay? And basically, uh, uh, he, he's not, I mean, when the text says that he's a, a tax collector, the chief of the tax collector, that's like, he is like, mm -mm. he's not saying that in a positive way. And when the text describes to us that he actually uh, uh, is going to give half of what he owns, his guilt is playing on him because then he says, and if I have cheated anyone, by the way, that was his job, to cheat everyone of taxes. That was his job. And then he says, and if I ever cheated. Mm -hmm. But Jesus was there with Jesus' grace. And Jesus heard his heart. Jesus saw his heart of stone that was transforming to a heart of flesh that was now willing to respond to God in such a way that he was a giver, became a giver, became a giver. And gave of himself. You see, Matthew also responded in the same way. When Jesus came to him, he decided to give Jesus a party. The lepers responded in gratitude to, to Jesus when they were healed. The lame and the blind men, once, when, they, when the Jesus healed them, 
each one of them responded to follow Jesus, and they wouldn't leave Jesus alone. They became his disciples. The disciples responded to Jesus' grace and God's grace by surrendering their lives to Jesus, even to the end of their own lives. And they gave themselves. And they gave of themselves. You see, gratitude is a spiritual discipline that bestows reverence and opens us to God's awesomeness. In your bulletins, there is a little piece of paper like this. I want you to look at it because I want, as I continue and finish the message in the next couple minutes, I want us to look at the little timeline of grace. And in it, we have number 10. Well, I want you to think carefully back before you were 10 years old. Yeah, can you do it? Some of us can, all of us can. And try to remember, when was God's grace manifested before you were 10? Well, obviously my baptism, because I know I was baptized as a child, so I would remember that then. How about your 20s? Some of you were having already in school, somewhere in the war, right? Some were serving in military, other places. Some of you were alone waiting for that handsome young man. Today, they're both waiting. <laughs> did any of you get married in your 30s and 20s? Was God's grace in you, or did you repent? <laughs> How about when you were in your 40s and you had kids? Oh, my gosh, was God's grace evident? Did they survive? And as you go throughout the week, I want you to reflect and think of this little piece of paper. Where was God's grace? Where was God's forgiveness through his grace? Where has God manifested change in your life? Oh, hey, it happens three times or four times a year in the weather. Well, what's the big deal? It's God's rhythm is change. How about in your 30s and 40s? Has God's grace been in there? How about in your 60s and 70s? How about in your 80s? And I stop at 90s. I don't think anybody. How many of you get to the 90? Is anybody here 90 years or, or older? I, I have to say this this way. Is anybody here 90 years or older? <laughs> well, we don't want to make note of that. There's a lady. But has God's grace been manifested in your life? Think. Reflect. Remember God's goodness throughout. Remember God's mercy in those days that it was dark and dreary and scary. And you may have gone through that dark night. But as scripture says, joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. So having a sense of gratitude leads to generosity and ultimately to being a cheerful giver. Oh, by the way, did I tell you this was the first Sunday message on stewardship? Snuck it on you. 
Stewardship, yeah. Stewardship is the season where we preach about giving, where we preach about generosity, where we teach about the things that God and Jesus spoke about. I asked a class earlier today, what was the number one topic that Jesus spoke about in the Gospels? Any idea? What was the number one topic? If you take all the topics that Jesus spoke about in the Gospels, what would you think? No, no, you were in the class. What would you think is the number one topic? Somebody said love, love of others. Money. How many of you knew that? Look around, they know that. So I don't have to preach the next two Sundays. What we're doing then is basically uh, um, refreshing. Why is it that we do it? Is it a spiritual discipline as we're going to find out next week? Is it a spiritual discipline that actually helps us grow and develop into healthy, mature reasons? It's not about the dollar. You know why I believe Jesus spoke more about money than hell and, and, and salvation in heaven? Think about this. Who's competing for your heart and attention and time this day? Money. I believe Jesus understood that money was his biggest competitor. Think about it. Amen. Amen. 